0: chapter 57 part 3 of the history of the decline and fall of the roman empire volume 5 this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the history of the decline and fall of the roman empire volume 5 by edward gibbon chapter 57 the turks part 3 The greatness and unity of the Turkish Empire expired in the person of Malik Shah. His vacant throne was disputed by his brother and his four sons, and after a series of civil wars, the treaty which reconciled the surviving candidates confirmed a lasting separation in the Persian dynasty, the eldest and principal branch of the house of Seljuk. The three younger dynasties were those of Kerman, of Syria, and of Rome, The first of these commanded an extensive, though obscure, dominion on the shores of the Indian Ocean, the second expelled the Arabian princes of Aleppo and Damascus, and the third, our peculiar care, invaded the Roman provinces of Asia Minor. The generous policy of Malik contributed to their elevation. He allowed the princes of his blood, even those whom he had vanquished in the field, to seek new kingdoms worthy of their ambition. Nor was he displeased that they should draw away the more ardent spirits who might have disturbed the tranquillity of his reign as the supreme head of his family and nation. The great sultan of Persia commanded the obedience and tribute of his royal brethren. The thrones of Kerman and Nice of Aleppo and Damascus, the Adabeks and emirs of Syria and Mesopotamia erected their standards under the shadow of his sceptre, and the hordes of Turkmans overspread the plains of the western Asia. After the death of Malik, the bands of union and subordination were relaxed and finally dissolved. The indulgence of the house of Seljuk invested their slaves with the inheritance of kingdoms, and in the Oriental style a crown of princes arose from the dust of their feet. A prince of the royal line, Katulmish, the son of Israel, the son of Seljuk, had fallen in a battle against Alp Arslan, and the humane victor had dropped a tear over his grave. His five sons, strong in arms, ambitious of power, and eager for revenge, unsheathed their scimitars against the son of Alp Arslan. The two armies expected the signal when the caliph, forgetful of the majesty which secluded him from vulgar eyes, interposed his venerable mediation. Instead of shedding the blood of your brethren, your brethren both in descent and faith, unite your forces in a holy war against the Greeks, the enemies of God and his Apostle. They listened to his voice, the sultan embraced his rebellious kinsmen, and the eldest, the valiant Soliman, accepted the royal standard, which gave him the free conquest and hereditary command of the provinces of the Roman Empire, from Azurum to Constantinople, and the unknown regions of the west. Accompanied by his four brothers, he passed the Euphrates, the Turkish camp was soon seated in the neighborhood of Kotea in Phrygia, and his flying cavalry laid waste the country as far as the Hellespont and the Black Sea. Since the decline of the empire, the peninsula of Asia Minor had been exposed to the transient, though destructive, inroads of the Persians and Saracens, but the fruits of a lasting conquest were reserved for the Turkish sultan, and his arms were introduced by the Greeks, who aspired to reign on the ruins of their country. Since the captivity of Romanus, six years, the feeble son of Eudocia, had trembled under the weight of the imperial crown, till the provinces of the east and west were lost in the same month by a double rebellion, of either chief Nicophorus was the name, but the surnames of Bryennius and Botonietus distinguished the European and Asiatic candidates. Their reasons, or rather their promises, were weighed in the divan, and after some hesitation, Soliman declared himself in favor of Botaniatus, opened a free passage to his troops in their march from Antioch to Nice, and joined the banner of the crescent to that of the cross. After his ally had ascended the throne of Constantinople, the sultan was hospitably entertained in the suburb of Chrysopolis, or Scutiari, and a body of two thousand Turks was transported into Europe, to whose dexterity and courage the new emperor was indebted for the defeat and captivity of his rival byennius but the conquest of europe was dearly purchased by the sacrifice of asia constantinople was deprived of the obedience and revenue of the provinces beyond the bosphorus and hellespont and the regular progress of the turks who fortified the passes of the rivers and mountains left not a hope of their retreat or expulsion another candidate implored the aid of the sultan Melissenus in his purple robes and red buskins, attended the motions of the Turkish camp, and the desponding cities were tempted by the summons of a Roman prince, who immediately surrendered them into the hands of the barbarians. These acquisitions were confirmed by a treaty of peace with the emperor Alexius. His fear of Robert compelled him to seek the friendship of Solyman, and it was not till after the sultan's death that he extended, as far as Nicomedia, about sixty miles from Constantinople, the eastern boundary of the Roman world, Trebizond alone defended on either side by the sea and mountains, preserved at the extremity of the Euxine the ancient character of a Greek colony and the future destiny of a Christian empire since the first conquest of the Caliphs. the establishment of the Turks in Anatolia or Asia Minor was the most deplorable loss which the Church and Empire had sustained. By the propagation of the Muslim faith, Solyman deserved the name of Ghazi, a holy champion, and his new kingdoms, of the Romans or of Rome, was added to the tables of Oriental geography. It is described as extending from the Euphrates to Constantinople, from the Black Sea to the confines of Syria, pregnant with mines of silver and iron, of alum and copper, fruitful in corn and wine, and productive of cattle and excellent horses." The wealth of Lydia, the arts of the Greeks, the splendor of the Augustan age, existed only in books and ruins, which were equally obscure in the eyes of the sicyan conquerors. Yet in the present decay Anatolia still contains some wealthy and populous cities, and under the Byzantine Empire they were far more flourishing in numbers, size, and opulence. By the choice of the sultan, Nice, the metropolis of Bithynia, was preferred for his palace and fortress. The seat of the Seljukian dynasty of Rome was planted one hundred miles from Constantinople, and the divinity of Christ was denied and derided in the same temple in which it had been pronounced by the first general synod of the Catholics. The unity of God and the mission of Muhammad were preached in the mosques. The Arabian learning was taught in the schools. The Qadis judged according to the law of the Koran. The Turkish manners and language prevailed in the cities, and Turkmen camps were scattered over the plains and mountains of Anatolia. On the hard conditions of tribute and servitude, the Greek Christians might enjoy the exercise of their religion. But their most holy churches were profaned, their priests and bishops were insulted, they were compelled to suffer the triumph of the pagans, and the apostasy of their brethren, many thousand children were marked by the knife of circumcision, and many thousand captives were devoted to the service or the pleasures of their masters. After the loss of Asia, Antioch still maintained her primitive allegiance to Christ and Caesar, but the solitary province was separated from all Roman aid, and surrounded on all sides by the Mohammedan powers. The despair of Philaretus the governor prepared the sacrifice of his religion and loyalty, had not his guilt been prevented by his son, who hastened to the Nicene palace, and offered to deliver this valuable prize into the hands of Suleiman. The ambitious sultan mounted on horseback, and in twelve nights, for he reposed in the day, performed a march of six hundred miles. Antioch was oppressed by the speed and secrecy of his enterprise, and the dependent cities, as far as Laodicea and the confines of Aleppo, obeyed the example of the metropolis. From Laodicea to the Thracian Bosphorus, or arm of St. George, the conquests and reign of Soliman extended thirty days' journey in length, and in breadth about ten or fifteen, between the rocks of Lysia and the Black Sea. The Turkish ignorance of navigation protected, for a while, the inglorious safety of the Emperor. But no sooner had a fleet of two hundred ships been constructed by the hands of the captive Greeks than Alexius trembled behind the walls of his capital. His plaintive epistles were dispersed over Europe, to excite the compassion of the Latins, and to paint the danger, the weakness, and the riches of the city of Constantine. But the most interesting conquest of the Seljukian Turks was that of Jerusalem, which soon became the theatre of nations. In their capitulation with Omar, the inhabitants had stipulated the assurance of their religion and property, but the articles were interpreted by a master against whom it was dangerous to dispute, and in the four hundred years of the reign of the caliphs the political climate of jerusalem was exposed to the vicissitudes of storm and sunshine by the increase of proselytes and population the mahometans might excuse the usurpation of three-fourths of the city but a peculiar quarter was reserved for the patriarch with his clergy and people A tribute of two pieces of gold was the price of protection, and the sepulchre of Christ, with the Church of the Resurrection, was still left in the hands of his votaries. Of these votaries the most numerous and respectable portion were strangers to Jerusalem. The pilgrimages to the Holy Land had been stimulated, rather than suppressed, by the conquest of the Arabs, and the enthusiasm which had always prompted these perilous journeys was nourished by the congenial passions of grief and indignation a crowd of pilgrims from the east and west continued to visit the holy sepulchre, and the adjacent sanctuaries, more especially at the festival of Easter, and the Greeks and Latins, the Nestorians and Jacobites, the Copts and Abyssinians, the Armenians and Georgians, maintained the chapels, the clergy, and the poor of their respective communions. The harmony of prayer in so many various tongues, the worship of so many nations in the common temple of their religion, might have afforded a spectacle of edification and peace, but the zeal of the Christian sects was embittered by hatred and revenge, and in the kingdom of a suffering messiah, who had pardoned his enemies, they aspired to command and persecute their spiritual brethren. The preeminence was asserted by the spirit and numbers of the Franks, and the greatness of Charlemagne protected both the Latin pilgrims and the Catholics of the East. The poverty of Carthage, Alexandria, and Jerusalem was relieved by the alms of that pious emperor, and many monasteries of Palestine were founded or restored by his liberal devotion. Harun al-Rashid, the greatest of the Abbasides, esteemed in his Christian brother a similar supremacy of genius and power. Their friendship was cemented by a frequent intercourse of gifts and embassies, and the Caliph without resigning the substantial dominion, presented the emperor with the keys of the Holy Sepulchre, and perhaps of the city of Jerusalem. In the decline of the Carlovingian monarchy, the Republic of Amalfi promoted the interests of trade and religion in the East. Her vessels transported the Latin pilgrims to the coasts of Egypt and Palestine, and deserved, by their useful imports, the favor and alliance of the Fatimite caliphs, an annual fair was instituted on Mount Cavalry, and the Italian merchants founded the convent and hospital of St. John of Jerusalem, the cradle of the monastic and military order, which has since reigned in the isles of Rhodes and of Malta. Had the Christian pilgrims been content to revere the tomb of a prophet, the disciples of Mohammed, instead of blaming, would have imitated their piety, but these rigid Unitarians were scandalized by a worship which represents the birth, death, and resurrection of a god. The Catholic images were branded with the name of idols, and the Muslims smiled with indignation at the miraculous flame which was kindled on the eve of Easter in the Holy Sepulchre. This pious fraud, first devised in the ninth century, was devoutly cherished by the Latin crusaders, and is annually repeated by the clergy of the Greek, Armenian, and Coptic sects, who impose on the credulous spectators for their own benefit, and that of their tyrants. In every age a principle of toleration has been fortified by a sense of interest, and the revenue of the prince and his emir was increased each year, by the expense and tribute of so many thousand strangers. The revolution which transferred the sceptre from the Abbasides to the Fatimites was a benefit, rather than an injury to the holy land. A sovereign resident in Egypt was more sensible of the importance of Christian trade, and the emirs of Palestine were less remote from the justice and power of the throne. But the third of these Fatimite caliphs was the famous Hakem, a frantic youth, who was delivered by his impiety and despotism from the fear either of God or man, and whose reign was a wild mixture of vice and folly. Regardless of the most ancient customs of Egypt, he imposed on the women an absolute confinement, the restraint excited the clamors of both sexes, their clamors provoked his fury, a part of old Cairo was delivered to the flames, and the guards and citizens were engaged many days in a bloody conflict. At first the caliph declared himself a zealous Muslim, the founder or benefactor of mosques and colleges, twelve hundred and ninety copies of the Koran were transcribed at his expense in letters of gold, and his edict extirpated the vineyards of the Upper Egypt." but his vanity was soon flattered by the hope of introducing a new religion. He aspired above the fame of a prophet, and styled himself the visible image of the Most High God, who, after nine apparitions on earth, was at length manifest in his royal person. At the name of Hakem, the Lord of the living and the dead, every knee was bent in religious adoration. His mysteries were performed on a mountain near Cairo, Sixteen thousand converts had signed his profession of faith, and at the present hour, a free and warlike people, the Druzes of Mount Libanus, are persuaded of the life and divinity of a madman and a tyrant. In his divine character, Hakim hated the Jews and Christians, as the servants of his rivals, while some remains of prejudice or prudence still pleaded in favor of the law of Mohammed. Both in Egypt and Palestine, his cruel and wanton persecution made some martyrs and many apostles. The common rights and special privileges of the sectaries were equally disregarded, and a general interdict was laid on the devotion of strangers and natives. The temple of the Christian world, the Church of the Resurrection, was demolished to its foundations. The luminous prodigy of Easter was interrupted, and much profane labor was exhausted to destroy the cave and the rock which properly constitutes the holy sepulchre. At the report of this sacrilege, the nations of Europe were astonished and afflicted, but instead of arming in the defence of the holy land, they contented themselves with burning or banishing the Jews, as the secret advisers of the impious barbarian. Yet the calamities of Jerusalem were in some measure alleviated by the inconstancy or repentance of Hakim himself, and the royal mandate was sealed for the restitution of the churches, when the tyrant was assassinated by the emissaries of his sister. The succeeding caliphs resumed the maxims of religion and policy. A free toleration was again granted, with the pious aid of the Emperor of Constantinople. The holy sepulchre arose from its ruins, and after a short abstinence the pilgrims returned with an increase of appetite to the spiritual feast. In the sea voyage of Palestine the dangers were frequent, and the opportunities rare but the conversion of hungary opened a safe communication between germany and greece the charity of saint stephen the apostle of his kingdom relieved and conducted his itinerant brethren and from belgrade to antioch they traversed fifteen hundred miles of a christian empire among the franks the zeal of pilgrimage was prevailed beyond the example of former times and the roads were covered with the multitudes of either sex, and of every rank, who professed their contempt of life, so soon as they should have kissed the tomb of their Redeemer. Princes and prelates abandoned the care of their dominions, and the numbers of these pious caravans were a prelude to the armies, which marched in the ensuing age under the banner of the cross. About thirty years before the first crusade, the archbishop of Mentz, with the bishops of Utrecht, Bamberg, and Ratisbon undertook this laborious journey from the Rhine to the Jordan, and the multitude of their followers amounted to seven thousand persons. At Constantinople they were hospitably entertained by the emperor, but the ostentation of their wealth provoked the assault of the wild Arabs. They drew their swords with scrupulous reluctance, and sustained the siege in the village of Capernaum, till they were rescued by the venal protection of the Fatimite emir. After visiting the holy places, they embarked for Italy, but only a remnant of two thousand arrived in safety in their native land Ingulfus, a secretary of william the conqueror was a companion of this pilgrimage he observes that they sailed from normandy thirty stout and well-appointed horsemen but that they repassed the alps twenty miserable palmers with the staff in their hand and the wallet at their back after the defeat of the romans the tranquillity of the fatimite caliphs was invaded by the turks One of the lieutenants of Malik Shah, Atziz the Charismian, marched into Syria at the head of a powerful army, and reduced Damascus by famine and the sword. Hems, and the other cities of the province, acknowledged the caliph of Baghdad and the sultan of Persia, and the victorious emir advanced without resistance to the banks of the Nile. The Fatimite was preparing to fly into the heart of Africa, but the negroes of his guard and the inhabitants of Cairo made a desperate sally, and repulsed the Turk from the confines of Egypt. In his retreat he indulged the license of slaughter and rapine. The judge and notaries of Jerusalem were invited to his camp, and their execution was followed by the massacre of three thousand citizens. The cruelty, or the defeat of Atziz, was soon punished by the sultan Takush, the brother of Malik Shah, who, with a higher title and more formidable powers, asserted the dominion of Syria and Palestine. The house of Seljuk reigned about twenty years in Jerusalem. But the hereditary command of the holy city and territory was entrusted or abandoned to the emir Ortak, the chief of a tribe of Turkmans, whose children, after their expulsion from Palestine, formed two dynasties on the borders of Armenia and Assyria. The Oriental Christians and the Latin pilgrims deplored a revolution, which instead of the regular government and old alliance of the caliphs, imposed on their necks the iron yoke of the strangers of the north. In his court and camp the great sultan had adopted, in some degree, the arts and manners of Persia, but the body of the Turkish nation, and more especially the pastoral tribes, still breathed the fierceness of the desert. From Nice to Jerusalem, the western countries of Asia, were a scene of foreign and domestic hostility, and the shepherds of Palestine, who held a precarious sway on a doubtful frontier had neither leisure nor capacity to await the slow profits of commercial and religious freedom the pilgrims who through innumerable perils had reached the gates of jerusalem were the victims of private rapine or public oppression and often sunk under the pressure of famine and disease before they were permitted to salute the holy sepulchre a spirit of native barbarism or recent zeal prompted the turkmans to insult the clergy of every sect the patriarch was dragged by the hair along the pavement and cast into a dungeon to extort a ransom from the sympathy of his flock and the divine worship in the church of the resurrection was often disturbed by the savage rudeness of its masters the pathetic tale excited the millions of the West to march under the standard of the cross to the relief of the Holy Land, and yet how trifling is the sum of these accumulated evils, if compared with the single act of the sacrilege of Hakem, which had been so patiently endured by the Latin Christians! A slighter provocation inflamed the more irascible temper of their descendants. A new spirit had arisen of religious chivalry and papal domination, a nerve was touched of exquisite feeling, and the sensation vibrated to the heart of Europe. End of chapter 57, part 3